I'm Charlie Hipwood, CEO of Mass Ventures. And I'm Stacy Swider, an investor at Mass Ventures. And we welcome you to the Fundable Founder, where we'll be exploring relevant topics for technology entrepreneurs to help them succeed in raising capital and in growing their businesses. As a founder who started and ran three companies, I didn't know what I didn't know when I first set out. <laughs> but you eventually figured things out, right? For the most part, through trial and error and mentorship. But now as a VC, I'm frequently advising entrepreneurs on the same topics. So Stacy and I are here to share that earned wisdom with you, along with the experts that we interview on a variety of subjects. We are. The roadmap to a successful startup is at your fingertips. So turn up the volume and grab the keys to success for your fundable founder journey. Hi, I'm Stacy Swider with Mass Ventures. We're here today to talk about IP for startups. And our part one lesson is IP 101. And I'm here with James Coe and Deirdre Sanders from Hamilton, Brooke, Smith & Reynolds. They are a well-known IP firm located in Boston and Concord, Massachusetts. Deirdre, can you introduce yourself briefly? Sure, thank you, Stacey. Uh, as Stacey said, I'm Deirdre Sanders. I am a principal and shareholder at Hamilton Brooks Smith & Reynolds, and I practice on the life sciences side of the practice, and I have been practicing for about 25 years. James? I'm James Coe, Hamilton Brooks Smith & Reynolds from IP3. Uh, I practice on the electrical mechanical side where I work with clients in the med device field, uh, software, and any kind of uh, electrical uh, and mechanical technologies. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your know-how. So I have some questions for you guys. Number one is, what are the different forms of IP? How do you figure out which forms of IP you need for your business? Um, sure, I'll take the first question and um, you know we're talking about startups here so um, for startups a lot of what they're trying to do is, is offer something new where they've got this um, kind of new value proposition they're trying to offer and so it's important I think for them to think about uh, what they can do to protect that value proposition so there are four basic forms of IP that we typically talk about um, versus trademarks uh, which is a way of protecting your, your brand or your goodwill. Uh, the second is copyrights, which is uh, a means of protecting kind of the expression. Uh, you know, things like, you know, publications or, uh, you know, software code. Uh, and then there's patents, which helps protect the functionality and inventions of your technology. And then Tage Secrets, which protects um, kind of your, your knowledge, things that you've kind of developed that you don't, that give you competitive advantage that you don't want others to uh, know about and use for themselves. So hmm. the four basic types. Okay, so we've got patents, copyrights, trademarks, and trade secrets. So how do you build a IP strategy with that? Or what is, what's a patent strategy? Um, sure, so a patent strategy, I you know, typically say it, it's sort of a, a way of um, developing a framework of, of thinking for your business and figuring out how, again, you want to protect those value propositions. And you know, you've got some differentiator here uh, that you don't want someone else to copy. Mm -hmm. So kind of some general patent strategies are 
an offensive strategy where you want to monetize your invention um, by licensing or a defensive strategy where you sort of arm yourself um, with patents to protect yourself against competition, whether it's suing them for um, copying your idea or just sort of having these uh, patents available to sue them back in case they sue you. Right. That, that happens sometimes. So how do you, um, how does one go about uh, identifying potential inventions for patenting? Well, there's a number of characteristics you have to consider. Uh, I like to think of uh, the patent system as sort of a deal that an inventor makes with their government that in exchange for a limited monopoly of uh, being able to license or own or control the invention, uh, you are providing the world with the knowledge and ability to help and potential inventors make and use the invention. So obviously, in order for you to be granted that limited monopoly, your invention should be novel. Because if it's not novel, then it's already out there in the world and you're not teaching the world anything new. Uh, so novelty is always an important uh, characteristic for an invention. And obviousness as well. Uh, obviousness standards differ in different countries, but in the US, the issue is would one of ordinary skill in the art, which is somebody who basically does what you do and you know, a similar invention background, uh, can, can they make and uh, be mo motivated to combine what they know with what's out there to uh, develop your invention and arrive at it with a reasonable expectation of success. So novelty and non-obviousness are the two of the main initial criteria about uh, whether something should be identified for patenting, as well as uh, patentable subject matter. Different countries have different ideas about what an inventor should be able to get a limited monopoly on. Uh, in the US, for example, this is an ever evolving standard right now regarding software and life science inventions in particular, diagnostics about what truly will be considered by the government subject matter that is worthy of patenting. So those are some of your three basic criteria for initially deciding whether to consider patenting. And of course, there's also design patents, which are which focus on the ornamental aspect of the invention of, of a patent. But we're going to be focusing, as James said, on utility functional patents. I see. Yeah, that is a lot. The obviousness, someone who's reasonably skilled in the art. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But it's it's worth it because it really becomes this exciting, this, this whole new piece of property, really, that your company has. Absolutely. It's, it's just like any other property, like a chair or a book. It's something that you can sell. It's something that you can uh, license. It's something, uh, you know, that you can own. It, it's, uh, it's just a different type of thinking about what property really is. <laughs> yeah, that's very interesting. And as, as James said, you can sit, play offense and defense with these with their, they can, they can be weaponized, <laughs> these pieces of They property. absolutely can. You know, some people, some people file patent applications just to prevent other people from, from filing a patent application. For sure, you know, just, for yeah. sure. Yeah, for sure. So James, how, how do you, there's, you know, Deirdre brought up this issue of non-obviousness. You have to, you have to do a patent search also to find out if anyone's done before. How do you, how does a person go about doing that? Yeah, so we, I think we generally recommend, you know, and it's helpful for startups to do patent searches to understand, you know, the players in their field, to know, you know, how they're armed, you know, what they've got um, for a couple of reasons. One is to make sure you're not infringing on anyone's patents themselves. 
Um, two is to kind of figure out uh, where you might have opportunities to patent um, things yourselves, whether or not uh, what you've got is kind of novel. So, uh, you know, we typically will do them by searching through some databases, using keywords, uh, knowledge of what the potential inventions are, um, and we can figure things out from there. Right, uh, the USPTO yeah, has a pretty good search site right. um, themselves. Of course, that's not a global search. Um, and I know when you when you find other patents too, you you use these as references in your filing as well to sort of say it's it's a continuation of this one or it's different or right. Well, so continuation practice is a little different, but we do you know we use some of those um, you know prior patents to know where we can actually. Um, you know, focus our invention because you know every patent application we're filed has got to be you know got novel or not obvious over the prior art. Right. So kind of knowing where that baseline is is very helpful. You have to find the gap. Right. But yeah. I think it's important to know also what's available publicly may not be what's kind of filed already because patent applications once they're filed won't get published for um, at least eighteen months after the filing. Oh, so wow. there could be things sitting there that you aren't going to know about. And in some cases, people can file non-publication requests. So their patent applications are even you know, more secret until <laughs> the issuance. But I mean, there, there's all these different things that you know, have to happen for you to get the non-publication request. Hmm. Oh, a lot going on there. So how does, how does a person evaluate an invention for patenting? Well, I can take this one. I, I think the most important thing, and that it's sometimes easy even for patent lawyers to forget, is a patent should be serving your business goal. Just getting a patent to have a patent doesn't make sense. Yeah, they're very expensive. <laughs> they're very expensive, very, very, very expensive, even to me, even to this day. And I practice in this field. I'm like, wow, these are really expensive. Um, so they should be furthering a specific goal. Just because something even is novel and non-obvious and worthy of a patent and maybe you get the patent doesn't mean you should get the patent. Um, is, it, is it going to, uh, first of all, you have to have a sense in your business plans for the coming years as you're getting your financing. What is what is your plan? Are you going to make the, the widget? Are you, uh, you know, planning to license it? Do you want to be acquired? What are you trying to do? Um, certainly people who look to invest in a business are interested to find out one of their factors is whether there is protection of the intellectual property. So that may be part of your plan and that makes perfect sense. So um, the other, the other thing to consider is in some cases, a trade secret may be best. I mean, it, you need to decide, do you want to do a patent at all? Is this something that you can truly keep confidential or is it something that would be, you couldn't keep confidential and could easily be reverse engineered around? There's no, there's no point. The other thing to consider is, um, are you able to get a patent as we discussed before? If it, it, you know, is it sufficiently non-obvious that you're likely to, uh, get through the patent system and, and finally get right. that patent. Um, and, uh, you know, how, how will you be licensing it with using it uh, as a sword in your, an arrow in your quiver to prevent other people from getting patents, et cetera. So you need to choose which in your portfolio are the, the potential inventions are the ones you want to go ahead with. Are they patentable subject matter? They're novel, they're not obvious. And do they make business sense? You know, is this something the public wants? Is this... Uh, it's going to be sufficiently desirable over what is known and is it going to be worth the cost of prosecuting in addition there's a number of timing issues as well to keep in mind well let's talk about that um 
when when should someone file an application? What are the considerations with timing? Um, sure. I mean, there are a bunch of considerations for timing. Um, the first, actually, is that um, you know, the U.S. is a first-to-file country. So if there are a lot of people working in this space uh, and you've got an invention, people may be working on the same problem, trying to get the, you know, the same idea solved. And you know, it's a bit of a race. If they file first, um, they've got that priority um, to the invention. The second one is that uh, you've got to file your application before any public disclosure. Otherwise you may forfeit um, certain rights. Uh, you know, you've got a year from public disclosure in the US to file an application before losing rights. But if you, um, you know, disclose your invention or use it before filing anywhere, you may lose foreign rights um, like Europe or China. Oh, that's interesting. So if you published your paper in Nature, then <laughs> uh, you yeah. got a problem in China. Yeah. Um, and then you've got to balance costs too, because once you file your application, you know, you set in the process a bunch of um, deadlines. You know, again, when you've got from um, your initial filing, you've got one year to foreign file. If you file a provisional application, which is you know one way of kind of approaching a filing uh, strategy, um, and which is cost effective. Again, you have one year for foreign filing plus one year to file a utility application based on the provisional, uh, and these costs add up. So you know it's a bit of a balancing act in terms of deciding when to file, and uh, you know what kind of filing to make. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of considerations here, which is why it's good to get professional advice. <laughs> well, thank you very much for that introductory lesson today. Is there any uh, closing thoughts you want to um, leave in this patenting 101 <laughs> brief video? I guess I would say uh, it's self-serving as it sounds. Uh, I, I, I recommend getting the advice of counsel early and often in your early stages, just to make sure that you don't fall into a pitfall you can't get out of where you, you are unable to protect your intellectual property rights, rights based on actions that didn't occur by the proper time. So get, get advice as soon as you can to make sure your, your, your inventions and your ideas are protected and you have a path going forward. Yeah, sure, I, I, I agree. Very yeah, important the, to a lot of good, our teams, I know. Yeah, I mean, the good thing is just talking to somebody and walking through these issues um, you know, with your particular business and strategy in mind. Perfect. All right, we'll close there. And our next uh, session will be about um, how exactly you file for that patent. Until then, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Fundable Founder. Please go to our website at mass-ventures.com for more information on Mass Ventures and where you can also find other episodes just like this.